to be clear, um, I don't write certain things like decos, they call yep. it. But let's take a look at today's show deco, Dan, because I want to point this out because people enjoy these things. Meta and Alphabet hit 52 weeks highs. But there's the first deco I saw was that whole FOMO thing. Yeah, FOMO. FOMO. If, I, of missing if you ever hear me say you, you it, just write said, it. You just said it. You're you're allowed to beat me with a with a club. Yeah. So a little FOMO going on apparently. And Liz is going to look at stress responses. By the way, Liz is drinking a little demi toss today. And then obviously, big bank earnings on deck starts tomorrow. Oddly enough, Friday the thirteenth. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay here. What, what does Deco stand for? I we've heard these terms for years, like lower chirons, chirons, yeah, yeah, Deco. I, I have no idea what that uh, is. Sot, which is sound on tape. Well, that's what I was going for. What does yeah. Deco stand I'm not for? Really sure. Okay, all right. But that was a Deco. Um, that was the rundown. That's what we're gonna do here today. Um, interesting. You know, we got a um uh, uh, an email earlier today. Our friend Doug Cass was talking about yesterday some of the divergences in the market, mm -hmm. and I thought that was interesting because um he was talking about some of the broad out and he sent a note out on real money and, and it caught me thinking like just look at today uh you know look at what's going on uh, today you know yesterday i think at this time we were talking about how um you know when you see money coming out of all those other sectors that we think have corrected you see it going into right you the magnificent seven or whatever the hell it is here and then you know we're just seeing the opposite of that again it's just a it's like a ping pong thing mm -hmm. how long can that go i don't know until that's we start well, it's getting... going a lot longer than i thought it yeah. would go number one and we play this game on our show on fast money if you had told me yeah if last week on friday you had said you know what on wednesday of next week and you get a hot ppi which it was yep. on thursday subsequent you're going to get an equally hot cpi which it was yep. where's the s p going to be i would have said it's 100 it's 100 handles lower and here we are it was actually up marginally yesterday and we're unchanged today the resilience of the market i mean regardless of what i think where it should be there's no denying that through the lens of the s p specifically and only it's pretty damn resilient. We've drawn the trend lines. It's held support. We held the moving average. We're filling in that gap to the upside. So it all looks good. To answer your question, though, you're right. At a certain point, that whole merry-go-round is going to stop. I just don't know what is the catalyst. Well, there's for. another line to draw it. It, it, would it's be, a downtrend. it would be red. Yeah. It would be red. We're, we're going to probably get there. That's probably like 43, 50 or something like that. But let's pull up uh, the 10 year yield here because this is the one today, you know, going back to, you didn't even mention the hot jobs data on Friday. Well, right? so yeah. we had hot PPI on Wednesday. We had hot CPI today. Just look at the volatility. I mean, today, here we are, we're up 13 bips. We're going to talk about some sectors that are getting adversely Amazing. affected in the stock market here, but that reversal, I mean, we traded, uh, 4.514 yeah. this morning. Here we are at 4.69 on the 10-year. Incredible. And you made this point a lot about the volatility and, and yields here. You know, at some point that has to seep into the S&P 500 as a whole, as a monolith, as the VIX would register a 15 and a half ish today. It doesn't seem commensurate of what we've seen in commodities, what we've seen in FX, Not and what we've all. seen in yields. And maybe there's a function, maybe the, the volatility index, the way we look at it, is skewed today as opposed to five yeah. years ago with all these different products. I have no idea. I'm not zero. You know, days. We've had Mike zero Cohen. I'm sure people can speak intelligently yeah. about that. So maybe there's that going on. But to your point, which is a good one, yes, the VIX should be high. Given everything that we've talked about, the VIX should be significantly higher. But your point about bond volatility, it never really went away. For a brief period of time, it seemed like things were subdued, but it's back in spades. And when you see these intraday moves, they give you pause. The bond market is trying to figure out what's yeah. going on here. So again, Carter Worth had a chart for us. We looked at it. We touched the upper end of an up channel. 
We pushed back. I think that four and a half level was a logical stopping point. And now it's anybody's guess. I would say, and I'm in the camp that rates are going higher. I'm not suggesting I'm right. I think they will continue to go higher. I think if anything, the last two days sort of galvanized my thoughts that acceler- that inflation is reaccelerating. Other people think the opposite. You, you've been saying that. You, you started saying that in the summer, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people were kind of fading that call in a way. And it's interesting because that was the story of the markets in September. It was the story of the rate increase, this geopolitical, this terrorist attack um, in Israel, you know, has really caused, obviously, the recent volatility. You said that if there's anything geopolitical, you were talking about it in the terms of China and yeah. Taiwan, that you would see a flight to quality in the form of U.S. Treasuries, okay? And that would be the thing that maybe could cause yields to come in. I guess what's really different, because, you know, this dovish talk that we've seen from some of these fed folks over the last few days or so um i don't think yields actually have to come in dramatically they could just kind of settle in you know above four three five or something like that and that would be the lag effect on the economy the lag effect on risk asset pricing and and the like here so to me maybe it is that line that breakout level and if you look at that uptrend maybe it is four three five Maybe, you know, unless you get below there and, and guy, talk to me, if we are below four and a quarter, something broke, something bad. That's what I, you know, yeah. again, but there will be people that say, no, you guys are too dogmatic. You're too bearish. Something didn't break. What's happening is inflation is retreating, which by the way, it is not. But what they'll say is, you know what? The Fed is navigating this well, and you actually want to see yields yeah. come back down and unemployment isn't markedly higher and all those things. I obviously am not in that camp. Now to answer your question, yes. We could trade down to the higher end of that uptrend line that you've drawn. And that would be effectively come in at exactly that horizontal yeah. line. It makes a lot of sense for a myriad of different reasons. The question is, does it stop there and bounce or do we go through? I would submit if we break through the downside and see the moving average, something bad so, probably. So if happens. we break through the downside, okay, like to, you know, if we we're below four and a quarter, the SP is not going to be north of 4,300. Well, I'm just telling you well, that, okay. matter of fact. And it's going to be south of that. I don't disagree with you. I will tell you, though, just to counter that argument, there are a lot of people that would say, no, 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 you're wrong. Just look at it through the prism of lower rates yeah. as bullish for equities. I mean, that's a very one-dimensional no, well, way. That's the story of last week. But listen, let me tell you something. Sometimes one-dimensional works as well. You know, I make this very complicated, maybe more complicated than it needs to be. I understand that case. I don't adhere to it, but I understand what yeah. people are saying. The NASDAQ is one we should look at because you talked about a red line. Well, this happens to have that red line. We have the uptrend in place. We have this downtrend in place as well. Let's take a look at this because this is where, as the uh, the old saying go, the rubber hits the road, Dan. Nathan. Well, also, I mean, you know, with the, the, the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500, that served as support last yeah. week. Okay, look at how far above the NASDAQ 100 is above that 200-day moving average. And we made this point on many occasions that, yes, Apple, Microsoft, two of the most expensive stocks in the NASDAQ, which make up more than 20% of the NASDAQ 100, they did outperform to the downside, mm-hmm. meaning they went down more than the index did. Okay, so that's two stocks that make up up 20% of the weight, but in my opinion, they still have a lot more to go. If you are going to have some sort of valuation reset, because maybe this recession that Paul Tudor Jones suggests that we could be in by Q1 or so, um, it's going to weigh on enterprise demand. It's going to weigh on consumer demand. It's going to weigh on some geographic demand because other parts of the world are clearly in a recessionary environment. You can't tell me that the deflationary readings we're seeing out of China is not recessionary. I, who knows about their Fugazi numbers? And Europe clearly is. So again, if we are going to be in the midst of a global recession at some point in early 2024, um, those major players that have 
elevated the market this year um, dramatically, both the S&P and the NASDAQ, I think are going to be very vulnerable. And I think they're going to lead to the downside. We, in our world, we talk about you know standard deviations away from a certain thing. And if you look at where we are now in terms of the NASDAQ and where that moving average is, we're approximately one, one and a half, two standard deviations away. The last time we approached it or sort of flirted with it was in the early spring, okay. probably March of this year. That's a pretty long time not to have made another test. So obviously the moving average continues to go higher by definition. So that smooths things out. But I think to your point, it's just a matter of time before we look at it. And I'll say this, so much of this move, as you mentioned, predicated on those names we talk about. Semiconductors have a lot of this as well. They've all been on a recent tariff. Yeah. I will tell you, having spoken to a lot of people, there are, I would say, a preponderance of analysts out there that seem to think off the record that you talk about it, this double, triple ordering has been yeah. going on, yeah. and you're going to start to see that manifest itself in terms of some of the commentary we're hearing about demand destruction and oversupply inventories and all those things. We haven't heard it yet, yeah. but I just think it's a matter of time. And it makes sense. If you think about what companies were in the midst of, it makes sense that they might have doubled or tripled order. Yeah, we might have to wait a little bit because NVIDIA is off cycle, and that's going to be the one I think that most people are going to be focused on. If you think about AMD and their graphics chips for training large language models, they're not there, right? So when they report in a week or two, mm -hmm. it's not going to be a no, meaningful read-through. No, it's not this Intel's not going to be a meaningful read-through. So let's see what NVIDIA, which has quietly been working back towards its prior 52-week highs after it had, what, a 20-some percent uh, pullback from those highs. One thing before we get to Liz, and I, and, and I just want to highlight something, you know, uh, Liz talks about small caps a lot. Look at the performance of the Russell 2000 today. And this is an environment or lack where rates, ra well, I, just think about it. We're going to, we're going to hit home builders later. We don't have to hit that right now, but you know, the Russell not acting well in an environment where, you know, rates are, 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 you know, had a big reversal today. And so that to me is also a bit of a tell. I think that these are the most exposed to higher rates and the access to capital and the cost of capital and all that sort of stuff. So to me, this is telling the story with the rate move higher today. So if I can't tell if that's an IWM chart and I'm Sorry, I can't see it. But if we could broaden that out real quick, five you will years. see if we go to a five-year chart, in terms of where we are in the IWM, 167 is huge support. And then you go all the way back, Dan, to, I want to say, February of 2020. That was huge resistance. So you draw a horizontal line right there, yeah. and you see effectively, you know, I'm fudging a little bit, but that prior resistance is now support. This 168-ish level in the IWM, which we're about four-ish handles away from, is critical. So if we start breaking down here, then you're going to start asking questions about, is it on regional banks, small banks? Is it a tell on the economy? Yep. All those different things. So I think that's an important chart to look at. I, I agree. All right, let's bring her in here, guy, because I have a really interesting anecdote. Um, Liz and I were at an event last night. I want to talk a little bit about it. And it's a good segue into mm. her note. So this would be EY from SoFi. You know her. Liz Young. Yeah. By the way, hold on. Before we even start, can you hold up that little Demi-Toss uh, yeah, glass? That is adorable. My, my espresso mug. That is, yeah. it's not yeah. a mug. That's, does Mario one little shot in here? At the SoFi yeah, Global Mario Headquarters? Mario doesn't no. do that. Uh, the SoFi Global Headquarters in my house? Yeah. Oh, uh, look at you. Oh, this is your remote uh, setup. That is adorable, though. Yeah, the little, no, my grandmother cute. used to say, Little guy, do you want a little demitasse? Cute, right? Yeah, well, we still call you little guy. Oh, um, hey, Liz, you're going with the hot for teacher look today. It looks like, you know, you got something to say here a little bit here. But, um, you know, last night, Liz and I were down at New York Stock Exchange. Our good friend Scott Wapner hosted an event. It was actually an amazing event um, with Daniel Ballou. Daniel is like the, the most famous chef on the planet. He's the most talented oh, guy. It was a one. Oh, it was stop for one yeah. second. Who is his name? Daniel Ballou. Do you know Danielle? 
Oh, Danielle. Danielle. Yeah. Well, whatever. I'm Daniel. No, no, Daniel, no, 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 I mean, I'm, I don't speak no, in no, French. I'm not like, yeah, all right, Danielle Bolu. Okay. Yeah, you're not and, French. Really interesting. Oh, you're Daniel. <laughs> well, but Liz, I want to get your take on this because you and I, it was called Whiskey Wednesdays with Wapner, and you were double fisted with whiskey. She had a oh, Balvenie in one hand and she had a McAllen 12 in the other. Her. Yeah, it was embarrassing, but whatever. <laughs> but I want to get your take on this. So they they told his life story. It was really fascinating, like, like a great story. But one of the last questions Scott asked him was about inflation. Well, okay, uh-huh. so interesting. Okay, and and did you see his response, Liz? I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty interesting, and it was really about. He said, "Is inflation down for you?" And we talk about this all not. the time. Okay, because those readings, you know, if you're looking at the 2022 highs in the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, that were north of nine percent, and now you're looking at south of four percent, a lot of folks thought we're going to be having a two handle at some point in the not so distant future. That is still up year over year. Like, like when you think about it, right? So take the accumulation so, so that you had a hundred percent. So he, it's his, a rate of change. His it's, face was like. No, he's like, no. It's, it feels like it might be stabilizing, but it's still up a lot. Of course. And he is. said also, and we can't really pass too, too many more prices. Of course not. Yeah. And you're, yes, thank you. Danielle from, from Daniel, great Daniel, restaurant. Daniel, I mean, Daniel, I, I don't, I've never met him, but he makes he's perfect sense. Guy. Look at Pepsi. Look at the performance. We've did you have any big it. anniversaries at Danielle? No. I did my, my to me. No, I'm just saying it's a rich for a big thing, like a big event. Like we used to, a, I'd say, not that anybody Linda. cares. We oh. went to La Grenouille. Do you know that? La Grenouille. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Is that still around or no? Stop. I mean, no, that's a, a bunch of great of those, rooms in New York City. I, a bunch of those places kind of like went the way of the dodo. So, inflate people think it's a rate of change thing, yeah. and infl- inflation is still going higher. It's going higher less fast, but yeah. it doesn't mean it's not people. People watch these things. They want to throw shit at the screen. I get it. They're like, what do you mean you're beating inflation? They must be nuts. They must be apoplectic when they hear whatever administration, doesn't matter who's in office, talk about we're beating inflation. Bullshit. Yeah. Inflation's beating you. And that, to me, that's why people get so incensed when they hear these things. He sounds it's incensed. All- Liz, Liz never gets incensed. Liz, what was your takeaway in that comment? Because it came right after Scott was asking him about his, you know, what he was feeling about the consumer and demand. And he he prefaced by the fact you're opening a lot of new fancy restaurants all over the world. So you must feel pretty decent about that. But I guess I had a different response, um, you know, like uh, about what he had to say about inflation. What was your takeaway on that? Uh, well, I froze for a second there, so I'm not sure if you recapped it or not. But what I heard him say about inflation was, uh, first of all, it, yes, it's different than it was about a year ago, different than it was for the last maybe 12 months. He said it's stabilized. It yeah. hasn't come down, right? And that they're still having to watch everything. And, and he called it a moving target. Every line item on their cost sheet mm-hmm. is a moving target. Food costs are a moving target. Wages are a moving target, fixed costs even. So just to turn the lights on, just to have the trash collected. He mentioned almost every cost that you would go through, and it's not just the variable stuff. And I think that was the part that stuck with me the most because you've got all of this narrative about inflation and and to Guy's point that it hasn't, nothing's come down in price. It just has gone up slower. So Mm -hmm. it's still going up. And the the narrative that's out there right now about inflation is that oh well goods prices have come down so much food prices are down however many double digits since blah 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 they're not necessarily down and down for good they keep popping back up we still have a whack-a-mole problem and when you've got services costs and you've got fixed costs that have not come down really at all you still have businesses that are dealing with that and i think yesterday's read on ppi maybe not directly related but related in the sense that you move down the supply chain a little bit and you've got wholesale prices 
still high, which means that costs down the supply chain are still high, which means that end costs to companies as they're trying to produce goods to sell to consumers are still high, but they don't have the strength anymore to pass those prices through, which is another thing that I took away from Danielle was mm. he basically said, we do everything we can to protect our customer from those price increases. So they've chosen, it sounded to me, they've chosen not to pass all of it through and they've sort of taken it on the chin. Now, maybe he has enough pricing power and he has a, a good enough position in the industry to do that, but not every company is going to be able to do so. Well, think about that. So they're not a publicly traded company, but what you just spoke of is margin margins are going to decrease yeah. by definition. So that's happening there. It's happening at publicly traded companies as well, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. That's the next step in this is, mar is margin degradation. Now, as I've said on this show countless times over the years now, if you don't follow Elizabeth on the Twitter, you're doing it long, wrong. She's at Liz Young Strat, and you had a nice little tweet with a corresponding great little graph with the consumer price index. It's, it's very <laughs> Look fancy. At Look at that. That's all, Mario. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, it, Mario, Mario, I call him Mario, but yes, the chart is all Mario, that is for sure, um, and Mario does keep me on my toes about the data, he helps write these tweets too, so I got to give credit where credit is due, so this shows us a couple things, and it's funny, when you look at the comments, and I would, I would urge everybody to go look at the comments on some of these tweets that I put out there, because you'll see everything from somebody taking this as, oh my god, the sky is falling, to somebody taking the exact same tweet, the exact same chart and saying, we are in such a world of difference, everything is great. So some people can look at this and say, oh, we peaked a long time ago, look at how far we've come. Other people look at this and say, uh-oh, it ticked back up, we're screwed, it's only a matter of time. Uh, I fall probably somewhere closer to the we're screwed, it's only a matter of time <laughs> camp, but not nearly that dramatic. So. What we heard yesterday on PPI, what we heard today on CPI, first of all, I don't think has been a surprise. I think most people were expecting that we would see hotter than expected data because of what happened with energy prices uh, and because of shelter not coming down yet. So I don't know that this was a huge shock. Perhaps that's why the market isn't what, as Guy talked about before, 100 handles lower, but it's not great and it's not moving necessarily in the right direction. Yes, it's down from peak, but it's not moving in the right direction. And the stuff that's still stuck is the stuff that we talked about being sticky a long time ago. And now it's coming true. Things like services, inflation, shelter, mm -hmm. that's the stuff that isn't going to go away just with a drop of a hat. And it doesn't go away when supply chains get fixed. So we're still dealing with that. Couple that with indications now that the consumer is at least slowing spending and the market is responding by, first of all, selling off in retail stocks, selling off in home builders, selling off in airlines. Those are three big spots that read the consumer spending data. And it's not a, it's not a great setup into the end of the year. Yeah. Let, let's, um, you know, like thinking about like parts of the market that we talk about a lot that are affected by this data or inputs to some of this data, too. I mean, guy, the, the crude oil filling in the gap mm -hmm. from Monday. I mean, it, it's pretty shocking. I mean, I, I think a lot of folks 100%. who are in the higher oil camp for a whole host of reasons prior to this terrorist attack, um, you know, uh, uh, over the weekend in Israel. Um, now, the fact that it, like the, if you were in the camp that we were going back towards 95 and, and, and maybe, you know, 100 plus oil or something like that. You know, at this point, filling in that gap, we're making loads. What is that saying about the demand picture? Like, like demand hasn't. I mean, that's the thing. It hasn't. Demand hasn't waned. At, I mean, to, we're at pre-COVID levels in terms of demand. We have a supply problem. I mean, the demand is effectively the same as people talk about China. They talk about Europe. All those things. 
the reality is demand for crude oil is still there. It really hasn't fallen off a cliff. The price has fluctuated, which would indicate demand is waning. The reality, it's not. Now, the, fut the futures traders might be pricing in demand destruction, and that might be what we're seeing. But we also saw crude oil go from 65 to 95, not in a straight line, yeah. but in a pretty short period of time. So I guess the back and fill makes a little bit of sense. I again, I'll does say it? this. Does it? I mean, like, think about well, it. Like, I, to mean, me, I mean, like, I, I think all of us are left scratching our heads yeah. about the way a lot of risk assets no, are no, trading look. this week because, you know, that was that was a surprise, Liz, which is, uh, you know, maybe leads us into your note, which you guys can find at SoFi.com slash on the money. Um, you had a, a note this week, you know, talking about stress response. You're looking at surprises here. This is one where, you know, people talk about black swan events, you know, geopolitical events. You know, if you, you talk to folks, you know, like they have these things on the maps, right? Like they're up on the mm -hmm. board all the time. Like, so it's not an outright surprise. What comes next now that we know that this is like in play here, you know what I mean? You know, none of us know, and there could be some really horrible outcomes that in engulf a lot of other nations um you know and it's a protracted situation like we've had now in russia for nearly you know two years or so or in ukraine excuse me um but so talk to us a little bit how you're thinking about this because i think it also plays into how you're positioning right some of the stuff that you're thinking about from a strategic standpoint um you know in portfolios um into year end and into 2024 well first of all and, and we talked about this on on the tape on monday these things always have knock-on effects that we didn't expect at first. And there's the logical first reaction. The market had a logical first reaction to buy gold, to shoot oil prices up, uh, and the bond market reacted sort of on Tuesday, but not really all that much. But now we wait for what's the next level of response. And this also came, first of all, as a, a pretty big surprise, even, even to the countries involved, right? It came as a pretty big surprise. This is also coming at a time when Russia-Ukraine is still going on. So now we've got two regions. Now, granted, not super developed regions, but we've got Eastern Europe in conflict, and now we have Middle East in conflict. And that's not to say that we're going to see other regions go down with them. But when you've got two pretty big regions not completely stable and two pretty big regions that are responsible for a, a good deal of the commodity supply around the globe, it's not a great position to be in. So these are geopolitical conflicts that I suppose in certain regions in more developing nations are more likely than in developed nations. However, they affect the commodity complex immensely. And at a time when we are fragile to inflation, we're fragile to spending, we're fragile to input costs. This is not something that we see as a welcome surprise, which is what the note was about. It was basically about unwelcome surprises. And obviously the biggest unwelcome surprise we got was the war escalating and everything escalating uh, in Israel over the weekend. Another unwelcome surprise is hotter than expected PPI. Another unwelcome surprise is hotter than expected CPI. So as those unwelcome surprises pile up, you end up with issues. Now we've got another question mark coming in November. Obviously we have a Fed meeting, which it seems like we're pretty certain they're going to pause on, but we've got a possible government shutdown on, I believe, what, the 15th, 14th or 15th. So there is a possibility of a lot of other unwelcome surprises as we go through, not to mention earnings season kicks off in earnest this week and we first hear from the big banks. So there's a lot that markets have to grapple with at a time when I see them as uncertain about which direction they want to go. We've obviously just been through uh, a drawdown, not one that was all that dramatic, but a drawdown that got people kind of uh, nervous about what was to come next. I think the beginning of earnings season 
could serve as a little bit of uh, a, a push in sentiment if, after that drawdown. So if we have good results from the banks, maybe people get more excited about it. But we're coming up against a lot of uncertainty here. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and, and again, you know, we always say this earnings season is just a great time of the year, even if you're not inclined to trade individual names or ETFs in and around earnings, just to kind of learn a whole heck of a lot. We talked about that yesterday, guy with Fascinate. Well, it was a great, I mean, listen, we like you and I don't know this. We said it yesterday. This is not a company that we know particularly well, but when we think of their end markets and you think of, you know, where demand, you know, might come or where weakness might come, this is going to be an interesting company to focus on better than expected. Raise their guidance stocks breaking out to new 52 week highs. So is bearish is let's say I might've sounded for the last 24 minutes. Here's a, a specific company that they have, you know, I, I'm going to take them at their word for what they're seeing here. So sometimes, you know, it's important to kind of think about like markets and all this, like different pieces and the inputs as a bit of a mosaic. And here's one as we're starting off earnings season is not particularly bad. Flip side of that, maybe these guys can pull up HRL. Liz, in that room last night when we were there with Danielle, um, did you notice that the Hormel CEO was also in there? I think they were ringing the bell. This is not a great day after ringing the, the bell on the New York Stock Exchange guy. Did you see this thing? It's fallen out of bed. It's fallen off the bottom right of the chart here. It's a $12 billion revenue company that's actually seeing lots of headwinds here. They sell food. Trading at an eight-year low. If you can extend that chart out, you'll see the last time we were here, I think, is early 2015, if, if I'm not mistaken, which is remarkable i don't know if that's the correct chart but i will tell you flat out at 32 dollars, you know the last time we were here was probably sometime in 2016 17. anyway regardless of that to your point stocks like this shouldn't theoretically have the kind of move we're seeing by the way this is on top of an already pretty precipitous sell-off i want to say dan since like i don't know yeah. march of last year so this has been in decline for quite some time early last year i um, can so i i'm gonna i want to ask this to you guys because i have a, an opinion on this but well first of all shout out to anybody who's from the midwest and knows what chili cheese dip is you use hormel oh, in that what, what was hormel that? chili no beans yeah and yeah. uh there's another there's a brand of cheese that's not really cheese that you also mix in there anyway Malvita. i'm a big fan of hormel hold on stop What's for a second just for the, this is the more you know. I did this on Fast Money. Yeah, you, you shouldn't put beans in anything. If you're putting beans, that's <laughs> not even like a burrito. It's no, I don't get chili. I, it's funny. The folks at Chipotle send me a T-shirt with my order on it. Burrito. Yeah. No beans. Yeah. Extra chicken. Medium salsa. Sour cream cheese. I have a T-shirt that says that. Well, you know, Liz. No beans. They're good for your heart. But but talk to them a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah well. Uh, yeah. well, you know. Um, anyway, you brought it up. I didn't yeah, bring it up. Well, I said chili, no beans for the dip anyway. Okay. <laughs> here's my question. So we've talked about this a lot and I try to play this out in my head. Yesterday I used consumer staples as my final trade on halftime, uh, only because I couldn't use a food and beverage ETF because it was not a big enough float to say on national TV. <laughs> so, um, my question is this. We talk about some of these companies. I don't know if I'll put Hormel into this camp, but Guy, you've mentioned things like Pepsi and Coke, mm -hmm. right? Some of these staples companies, Kellogg, that have talked about organic growth, but really it was just inflation passed through. Now, a lot of these companies have not acted well in the last month or two. They've given back a lot of that, and perhaps rightfully so. Maybe people figured out there wasn't actually organic growth. Nobody started buying more cereal. But... Now that they've given it back, if what we expect to happen happens and you see the economy hit the skids, you see the labor mar market cool off, people have pulled back their spending. We've already talked about uh, a shifting down in consumer spending behavior. Some of these staples companies, I mean, people go through a tough time 
cash is strapped, you're still buying spam, mm -hmm. you're still buying cereal, right? So that in my mind is when you start to think about, all right, start dollar cost averaging yeah. into some of that. these staples food these and will, beverage companies because you're right. I think it's in preparation for that. These will bottom before the broader market does. And we might be in the process of that right now. I mean, throw General Mills, you could basically rattle yeah. off 10 names that all look very similar in terms of their performance over the last year and a half or so. General Mills being one of those stocks. So I agree with you. These stocks will start to make a bottoming formation, I think, before the broader market does. But let's see how that plays out. But Liz, you're spot on with that. You are. You know, here's another one that I think, you know, um, we kind of were on the right side of this. Not not on the run up. I know, Guy, you were kind of definitely in the camp of, um, you know, you like the home builders, the supply demand, you know, scenario over the last sort of year or so. But as this last kind of leg of yields, mm -hmm. when we went from three and a half to four and a half in the 10 year, and you saw the mortgage, you know, the 30 year mortgage get, you know, skipping up, it felt like a half a point a week or something like that in that period in the late summer. Um, you know, what's gone on in the home builders over the last, you know, couple of weeks mm -hmm. is really interesting. But today in particular, particular okay it's one thing let's let's pull up a toll brothers okay to see the sort of reversal that we saw in the 10-year yield okay and then when you see the sort of like bounce okay it bounced with the stock market over the last week or so as yields came in a little bit but to have the sort of move higher today and have a stock like this down five and a half percent i mean come on man like like this is the thing that leads me to believe that we are going to see correlations get more towards one in the not so distant future and let me tell you something if we barrel into this deadline for the government shutdown and the unions you know some of the some of the stuff going on with 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 ford and gm and still and all this stuff does not get sorted out a little bit and yields stay higher and the dollar stays bid i am hard pressed to think stocks as a monolith don't go we lower. talk we had to take did take the economics in college yeah, 101 i'm sure elizabeth did yeah. i took it for like a day but you, i learned <laughs> points of diminishing marginal returns and i mentioned that because something we had said and you're right i was we were collectively pretty bullish on the home builders we also were saying there's going to come a point in rates where rate tenure yield gets to a certain level and it's going to flip a switch i didn't know what that level was i think it wound up being about four and a half percent when we got there in the tenure yield that's when things started to go a little bit pear-shaped now I think the home builders trade is as easy as this. If yields continue to go higher, which I think they will, I think home builders continue to sell off. If yields start to push back, then maybe you get some sort of bottoming formation. But 4.5% was the trigger. Now these things are sort of on a hair trigger in yeah. terms of how they're going to trade. Liz, thoughts uh, on, on the home builders, maybe some of the related like retail uh, names in, in the space. I see on a day like today, Home Depot is down, um, Lowe's down a little bit. Um, so it seems like you know some air is definitely coming out of this uh, housing trade. Well, so what's been holding up the housing trade this whole time is not existing home sales. We all know that. Everybody that's locked into a 3.5% mortgage has not moved. But the new homes have held it up, right? We've got a lot of contracts. There was a big backlog after the supply chain issues. So it was still all of this appetite to build new homes. And then there were a lot of builders that were giving out financing specials that avoided still the 7 or 8% mortgages that were out there. So that was kind of propping this up and keeping prices elevated. And to Guy's point, the 10-year at some point hits a, a level where everybody stops because it doesn't make sense anymore. You've still got prices at all-time highs. I don't care if people think that buying real estate is the one-way ticket to getting rich. It's at some point not when it doesn't make sense to pay more than a house is worth 
and finance it for more than the average over the last 10 to 15 years. So I think people finally figured that out and stopped even with the new home building. So some of these builders, I think, needed to give that back. That's just an element of what's going on in this particular part of the economy. But home builders are obviously a big indication for cyclicality. So when you look at what's happened with home builders, you look at what's happened with retail stocks, mm -hmm. it's the market sniffing out that some of this may not continue at the same clip that it's been for the last year. And I think that's smart. Speaking of cyclicality, the third tease in our rundown was the implied move in banks. Oh, yeah. So let's take a look at City, which has been awful in a word, yeah. as Bank of America has been. But the implied move for City is about 4% or so from current levels, Dan. And again, I'm not looking to play stock market here, but play this stock is, market. well, City is traded awful. Yeah. Bank of America is traded. They had a little bit of a bounce this week. I don't know what that was predicated on. I, I have no idea. You know, it could be a host of different reasons, maybe short covering into the print. With that said, in my opinion, their reason they're trading as poorly as they are. But let's take a look at City to start this off. Yeah, I mean, I guess, listen, you know, we've seen this, um, you know, sentiment's been bad into the last couple reports for the whole space. A couple of these names or a handful of the money centers have really underperformed JP Morgan in a meaningful way. You mentioned the two in particular here. Listen, you know, have at it, people. You want to buy these things because they're cheap, this and that or whatever. I think what lurks in these kind of mark-to-market, you know, held-to-maturity portfolios, specifically for City and Bank of America, maybe they're well-known right now, but that lack of earnings power or the degradation of earnings power, right, that they're going to experience because they hold all of these longer dated treasuries at much lower yields, it really is going to limit their ability to do a whole host of other things. So if you're getting excited about the fact that the IPO window is reopened and, and M&A is started back up and that Exxon Pioneer deal and this and that, whatever, it's just understand the ones that are going to be saddled by you know, like these, these mark to market, they haven't had to realize them yet, but if there's ever a reason where they do, that's where the trouble comes in. So tomorrow morning we have JP, we have city, we have, I think PNC, Wells Fargo. We're just going to know a lot more. I just don't know why you have to be long these things into the print. I'm not saying that they're good shorts right here. And if they were to go up a lot because they're not as bad as expected, I think you lay them back out in the shorts. Commentary is going to be everything. I agree. I mean, you can make a valuation case on these stocks 25, 30% ago for some of them quickly a bank of america chart if we can the implied move there is basically the same yeah. up of five percent or so this is a stock that would, would send a whisper of a three-year low multi-year low we bounced here's your line in the sand if you really want to play that game sort of this 26 and a half 27 level but this has been telling a story as well can this bounce to the downtrend absolutely i mean we've seen stranger things than that happen in the stock market but the only reason i bring up these banks x jp morgan because I do think the way they trade is telling a well, story. Well, listen, the last time it touched that downtrend, okay, was after earnings in July. So you can see these things can get off on a massive rip. But, you know, it took about two and a half months for it to make a new 52-week low below the, you know, the regional banking crisis low in March. Liz, thoughts? Um, just not on any of the names in particular, but maybe sentiment and positioning into the print and how you might be inclined to kind of view them for the balance of the year. Let's just say they're not worse than expected, but they're not better than expected on the whole. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about some of this before, and I've, I've made this statement before I stand by it. The good news about financials is that it's the risk we know, and it's already traded off quite a bit. So I, I don't see them as a good short here. They're low enough that I, I don't know that it makes much sense for them to bottom out that much lower to make that risk worth it. 
But do I see them breaking out to the upside in this earnings season? Probably not. I think the biggest expectation and the biggest worry that a lot of investors have about the financials is, are we going to hear commentary from those big lenders that they need to increase charge-offs, that they need to increase mm -hmm. loan loss reserves, that they're expecting the consumer to increase in delinquencies, right? If their recovery rates go down. I don't think we're going to hear any big messages about that this quarter, but fourth quarter we might. So yeah. this quarter might end up being kind of anticlimactic, honestly, for the banks. Uh, we probably still have some leftovers, certainly in JP Morgan, we probably still have some leftovers in the regional bank crisis and maybe some of the benefit that JP Morgan actually got out of that. You know, So we'll still hear about some of that, but obviously remember, you know, we're into the fourth quarter now, we're hearing about the last quarter. So I wouldn't expect that these earnings are going to be anything too cataclysmic for the market. And, you know, obviously Jamie Dimon has been pretty vocal about his expectations for the economy. I can't imagine that he's going to surprise us that much more tomorrow. That's the most important point. He's been pretty, um, I, I think, cautious over the last couple of months, mm -hmm. if you will. But I'll just say this with like a Bank of America, for instance, if they do, if, if like, like provisions, loan loss provisions, like go up greater than expected at a time where we know that they have mark to market losses and, and other mm -hmm. parts, that would be really bad. I'm just saying like, like that would yep. be really bad. Okay. Last thing before we get out of here, let's see if they can pull up that now. NASDAQ 100 chart again really quickly because we drove that downtrend. Look at the reversal today. Mm -hmm. Even with, guy, you know, you still have Apple up. You know, Microsoft just went down in the day. Um, to me, I I think this is a really – look at that. I mean, like, this is the one. Oh, so then pull up the other chart that we had. I think you're going to have this retesting that uptrend in the not-so-distant future here. Uh, the last point I want to make is just as bearish as I sound right there in the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100. Look at Meta today made a new 52-week high. Look at Alphabet, which made a new 52-week high. Look at Adobe, which made a new 52-week high. So, again – there's plenty of things that you mm -hmm. can point to depending upon which way you're looking through which All lens here, guys. Ex Adobe, the first you mentioned, Facebook and Google, valuations you can still make Reasonable. a case for. Yeah. Adobe said it's own animal. But before we get out of here, this, this tweet speaks to the society that we live in. It's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And that's the problem with a lot of things. One of the great point guards in the history of the NBA Irvin Magic Johnson. Yeah. You would agree with that. I'm Magic, sure Elizabeth would as well. She played basketball. She was a point <laughs> guard, as a matter of fact. She had a great <laughs> handle. She'd break your friggin' ankles with her crossover. Magic didn't have a crossover. His game was a little bit different. He's a part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, as you may know. Yep. Three hours ago. By the way, the Dodgers, who got swept last night by the Diamondbacks of Arizona. Good for them. Here's his tweet. And I've, I've verified this. This was from him. We're all disappointed that our Dodgers didn't hit or pitch well. That's why we lost the series to the Diamondbacks. Horseshit. Yeah. You got beat by a better team. But I bring that up because that is our society. It's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm just put that out there. That's a more you know, Dan Nathan. There you go. All right. On that note, right EY there. from SoFi. That's we a appreciate. Johnson tweet. From Magic Johnson. Yeah, he should go. pull it and apologize. He probably will. In the not so you know, we lost to the Diamondbacks, too. And I got to say, when you get knocked out, it's it's okay to watch that same team go for it. another it's team. Like, well, you know you what? feel a little bit better. Yeah, it's like, all right, they're a good team. Let them go. You got beat. Right? They pitched yeah. better. Yeah. They hit better. They fielded better. score without hitting the ball.
I mean, you you know, you just say, listen, we've lost to a better team. It's okay to be magnanimous. Anyway, sorry, Dan. No, take us out. Because that shit really all right stick around for for, for, for aftermarket call where guy is unplugged here no no um no i, I get that you know you're a team guy, guy. no it's just like no, you're the sort I of guy they win the world series you now put it all on your shoulders if you were like the leader we or lost coach or we, we like got that. beat by a better team i hope next year we get to play them again and hopefully the 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 outcome is different yeah. congratulations to the diamondbacks as they move on to play the phillies or the braves yeah that by the said, way i have a bryce harper Love him. Studs. Love him. Hey, by the way, if you're still listening to this right now, they are. Uh, we had a great, we had a special on the tape pod drop with our friend Tom Rogers, who invented CNBC. No joke. He worked for Jack Welch back in the 80s, invented it. So that dropped in the podcast stores. Go check that out. Guy and I had a great conversation with him. EY from SoFi, thanks for being here with us on a Thursday. You're going to be back with us on Monday on the tape. Guy Adami. You were on fire. Uh, I mean, certain things just irritate me. I know. We By the you. way, thank you guys for all being before here. Before people leave, yeah. one of these, the bond auction was awful. I, as I'm yeah. sitting here talking to you folks, I'm reading Peter Bookvar's note as well. So there are a lot of things happening over the last hour or so yeah. that have sort of um, set this move that we're watching right before our very eyes in motion. Anyway, take us out. All right. Thanks a lot, Liz. Thanks for everyone for being here. Hi.